0: John chapter number 20. I want to go in a direction here tonight. I use a little bit of this stuff at camp to try to explain some things for the kids, but I think it's very apropos for us in these final days to recognize some things about the Lord. And you have to sort of set the tone for where we're headed here tonight. This is right after the crucifixion has taken place. And if you can imagine now, for three, three and a half years, three years and at least three months, for the first three months there, the Lord's getting baptized and getting ready to go. But for a long period of time, these people that have been following the Lord have put all their eggs in His basket. And they have thought He is going to be the Messiah. They don't understand that His way of going about achieving what He wants to achieve, even though He has said to them physically, verbally... He has told them straight out, this is what's going to happen. And even to the point that this is after he has already had an argument with Peter. One argument that he had with Peter was, is that when the Lord said, I've got to go into Jerusalem and I must be crucified and so on and so forth. And Peter said, not so, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. The devil desires to sift you as wheat. Remember that? I mean, that was a, that's a pretty straight-up rebuke. When Peter's saying, the way you're going to go about you're not going to go die. We're not going to let you go die. They didn't understand that. Well, then a little bit later on, they're sitting there at the Last Supper and they're getting ready to, to uh, go up to the Gethsemane to pray to the Mount of Olives and so on and so forth. And again, the Lord says, he sits at the table and he said, before the night is over, one of you is going to betray me. And again, Peter stands up and he said, not so, Lord. And the Lord said, yeah, Peter, you're going to betray me before the night is over with, before the cock crows twice. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter said the more vehemently in that passage. It means he's more angry. He's more uh, persuasive. He stands up and he says, not so, Lord, though all others forsake thee, yet will not I. Now, I don't know about you. I've made a pretty bold statement like that before. I've said, you know, Lord, I realize that other people might leave you, they might desert you, they might run off from you. I remember a guy years and years ago, we were in the academy together, and we trained together and did different things like that, and we all made this commitment. We had it drawn up in our mind how things would be, and uh, me and the guy that rode next to me, the beat next to me, we got in a a pretty bad dust-up. I mean, bad enough that it was life-threatening. We'll just leave it at that. And uh, I remember this kid was there, and I remember when it got really, really bad and it looked like it was pretty dire, that kid disappeared. He ran off. And you say, well, what a terrible thing and what a horrible thing. Yeah, but see, here's the thing you need to recognize. And I didn't understand it then, and obviously we survived and everything is okay. But it's burned into my brain because that's his, you're pretty close to a bad, really bad situation there that transpired before the Calvary got there. But here's what happened with that kid he had good intentions. He really did want to be able to be there. And in his mind, he thought he had the backbone to be there. He certainly had the training, there was no question. But when bullets start flying and blood starts flying and bones start breaking and things like that, it has a tendency to test your mettle. And when Jesus is up here and he's getting crucified and he is over there getting whipped within an inch of his life and it would have killed a normal individual if the Lord had allowed him to take his life. As a matter of fact, according to historians, about 90% of them died in the whipping block before they ever even made it to Calvary and they're still crucified. 400 a day on a cross. 400 a day. And then they take them down off and take the cross member and nail some more of them up there and put them back up there. But they made, uh, they made short work of it. They would get in there and do their best to try to kill them. Now, would you imagine? You're thinking, Lord, I'm, I'm going to be right there with you, but listening to somebody be tortured, watching the blood splatter on the walls watching the blood pool and then coagulate. That's a, it's got sort of a smell, a metallic sort of a smell to it. Anybody that's been around it any amount of time at all, it comes out as scarlet as that carpet right there and doesn't take it very long. It begins to turn sort of a brownish color and then before long it begins to turn almost black. It gets gooey. It gets sticky almost like Coca-Cola on, the, on a carpet or something and then before long it congeals sort of like jello, and it has a smell to it. If you've ever smelled enough of it, it's got a stench to it, a smell to it. If it's been sitting around for a while, it begins to sour off and that kind of thing. You can't you, you, I mean, I'm telling you, once you smelled it, you never get it out of your nostrils. You say, what are you doing? I'm trying to explain to you that the folks I'm going to talk to you about here tonight, they had good intentions including the women. But now they've seen him taken and stripped down and beaten to within an inch of his life and watch him go out there and he's hanging on a cross out there. And if you knew that was going to be facing you, listen, I mean, it's one thing to get a bullet between the eyes, but man, to be tortured that way before you go, I got news for you. I don't I don't know that I got that in me or not. I'd like to think I did. But I'm real careful, having been through a few things in my life, to recognize that sometimes things can come along in life and you're not prepared for it. And you promise, Lord, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you, and I'm, I'm right here with you to the very end, Lord, and I'll not compromise, and I won't go contemporary, and Lord, I won't go charismatic, and I won't change my doctrine, and boy, I'm unintended to do that. And I mean, a lot of us have made that statement, but I know this about life. Sometimes things can come along, and, buddy, I'm going to tell you what, you know what you're thinking? You know what? It's enough, Lord. Let me die. Elijah gets under that juniper tree, and he's a great, uh, he's been three and a half years on the backside of the desert, God taking care of him. And something crosses him there after that transpires. And after everything he's been through and all the promises he's made, you know what he said? Just let me die. I'm no better than my fathers. Now, if a man like that thinks that way, do you think maybe we ought to pause? If a man like Peter uh, said, I'll never deny you, and is that bold and that bolsterous, and then winds up denying him, do you think maybe we should kind of cool our jets just a tad and pause and remember sometimes things come along and can change that? There's a preacher friend of mine called me today. As a matter of fact, just a couple of hours ago, he called and he said, I know you're at a meeting there with Brother Walker and I hope it's going well, but I need to tell you something and ask you a couple of things. And I said, Okay, well, go ahead, man. And, and he said, Well, he said, uh, he told me the name of the preacher up there and he said, um, Do you know him? I said, No, sir, I don't believe I do know him. And he said, Boy, he's a fine man. He loves the Lord. He believes the books. He's been pastoring a church. He took over this church a big work here. He's been doing a great job and stuff. And I said, Okay. I said, Well, well what's happening? I'm drawing it up in my mind like you are. I'm expecting some kind of you know, shenanigans or something. I mean, that's usually what we think, right? I'll come to my text in just a second. But just hear me out for a second. This is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. He said, well preacher, he said uh, this just happened. He said uh, his, he has a daughter, beautiful little girl. I've known her for years. She's grown up. She had a boyfriend. Her boyfriend walked in, shot her, and then shot himself right in front of their son. Killed both of them. And his son's there and watch the whole thing. What do I do? That's a preacher's daughter. That's a Christian. That's a saved woman and a saved boy. And now you've got a young man who's got something burned in his brain that he will never unsee. Preacher, what do I do? I mean, isn't there some times in life where the Lord allows certain things to happen and you sit there and you look at it and you think about it and you consider it and you ponder it and you can't seem to make any sense of it at all? And you know what can happen if you're not careful? You'll wind up departing. Look at that passage there in John chapter 20. I'll expand on that in just a little bit. But I just want you to realize, ladies and gentlemen, that just because you're saved, it doesn't mean tragedy doesn't come knocking. It's when tragedy comes knocking, what do you do with it? You can't stop tragedy. You can't stop trouble. Some of you young girls, you're going to meet a guy one day and you're going to think the greatest thing since sliced bread and all that other kind of stuff. And you folks that have been married for a while, when you first got married, that's what you thought. And then after about six weeks, you were like, what in the world about was I thinking? <laughs> and some of you weren't smoking crack at the time, but you were thinking you were under the influence of something. Can I get a witness? And then i Careful now. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that winds up happening is, is you go ahead and plan your life out. You get your whole life planned out, and how you think everything's going to go, and then that jackleg runs off with somebody else, or does something stupid, or he ain't the man you thought he was going to be, and he winds up being some no good, worthless, two bit dog. And then all of a sudden, see, for you girls, it's different than it is for guys. Guys are like school buses; there'll be another one along after a while. You certainly know that by now. But for girls, you get them and you think to yourself, what you can do to fix them and how you can change them and how you can get them in line and get them in tow. And I, I know they got things wrong with them, but I can fix that and that kind of a deal. How's that working out for you? After forty years, you're still saying, "Well, one of these days, you know." <laughs> but what happens is, is for for him, it's just he's just uh, changing his socks. But for you, it's a life change. Things just changed drastically. Your whole world came to an end. I mean, if a young daughter gets killed like this young daughter got killed, you know what happens? Mom and daddy are sitting there saying, I don't get to walk her down the aisle. I don't get to see her get married. I don't get to see them have uh, children and have grandchildren. I don't have anybody that's going to come along behind me to to be able to pick up where I left off and those kind of things. See, life got real serious. And boy, you talk about putting a period at the end of a sentence. I mean, death is the end of things for most people. I realize eternal life, but I'm talking about here. It stings, boy. Even the Lord himself said, the sting of death. It stings even though we sorrow we don't sorrow as those that have no hope and I could try to pump you up on the last night of the meeting and tell you don't worry about it thank God there's a glorious day coming but buddy when somebody we love is taken from us and somebody we've hung our hat on and somebody we've trusted and somebody we've had faith in and somebody we've had confidence in and they lie to us and they cheat on us and even sometimes the Lord allows them to be taken it stings it hurts And what it can do to you is make you say, I quit. I'm done. In the last days, if the Bible's right, you have to guard every avenue of your life because everything is stacked against you. And I don't mean to depress you. I do mean to warn you, to tell you you cannot be circumspect enough to prepare yourself because you think you're prepared on every front and the devil will hit you in an area you never even thought about. And one of those areas is is when things are so dark and you can't find your way because there's a lot of things that we know intellectually. You have a great pastor here who has the right... When it comes to right division, it comes to writing a book on right division, he's got the definitive work on those things. And you can know that stuff intellectually, but when you have to operate it practically and put it down into the life of your kids... Two weeks ago, I'm dealing with a guy. I can't mention names or anything. Some of you will figure it out. Please don't do that. But I'm just going to tell you, there's a dark time in this preacher's life right now. His son's a heroin addict. That's a rough road to hoe. I don't know if you know that. If you've never known a heroin addict, with the exception of Brother Kevin, you don't realize how difficult that stuff is. You say, well, you know, they'll get him in rehab and all that kind of stuff. That don't always work like you think it does. It ain't like something you see on TV. What that parent's doing right now is, is what did I do wrong? And where did I mess up? And did I have them in church too much? Did I not have them in church enough? Did I talk too much about the church? Did I not talk about, enough about the church? Should I have done this? Should I have done that? at parent's beating himself up, saying, you know, well, preacher, what did I do wrong? I try to, you try to comfort him, but sometimes there's just no comfort. He knows the verses. I gave him the verses. He quoted them back to me. But sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, you can know it in your head, but applying it in your heart, boy, that's a different deal altogether you stand there with tears running down your cheeks and over the grave of a loved one and you're watching them and they went at an inopportune time and they're gone out of here and your life and what you thought was going to take place the whole nine months you're carrying that young'un and the next thing you know that young'un's in the ground or that young'un grew up like this preacher's boy grew up and they thought boy everything's going to be great and they even hoped and prayed he didn't even push him like I don't care if he's a preacher or not a preacher just glad he's a Christian glad he's church doing right graduated high school doing real good got out there kind Of got popular, got with the wrong crowd, and kind of got hooked up a little. You know the story, you've heard it a hundred times, and he knew better, but it still got him. You say, But you know, he's uh, you told me about two preachers now. Yeah, being a preacher doesn't insulate you, doesn't mean that trouble doesn't come knocking on your door, doesn't mean that it doesn't settle and create problems for you physical problems spiritual problems, emotional problems. I'll say this quickly as I get into the passage here tonight. I mentioned this the other day and I'll say freely here because I've known you folks for years and years. I got 19 I guess or so. But uh, I'll say this, a smart aleck contacted me because I made a statement at my own church with my own people. And what I said was, I said oftentimes the pain between the ears is greater than the pain in the physical body. The emotional stress and strain, the the problems that you deal with emotionally. And I wasn't just talking about menopause and physical ailments and things. I mean, I was talking about people that are under sincere uh, emotional stress and strain. And he wrote a real smart alecky thing and things like that about what a farce it is and what a joke it is. And that's just pushing for pills and this and that kind of other. I, I wanted to say something. I didn't even respond to it. But I wanted to. I really wanted to grab him around the throat and say, you don't know nothing about life, son. You have no idea what you're saying. You obviously haven't dealt with people that are at the end of their rope, and they're holding on to the knot, and they're about to come off. I've been there when the lady's standing at the sink, blood splurting all over everything, and her wrists are cut, and she's like that. And I'm running over there to take the knife out of her hand and fold them up on Amberjack Lane back years ago in the early uh, 70s and I'm over there holding her like this, and she's trying to get away from me, trying to bleed out and stuff like that. You say, why? Because of something she was thinking in her head. I know that that can lead to physical pain and problems. And It's time that we as a church wake up and recognize that emotional trouble is a very real thing and it's not just all about somebody making something up. And yeah, there may be exceptions to the rule, but it is time that we come out of the stone age and realize and recognize you are in a different world nowadays and there is different stimulus nowadays and it ain't just old people going crazy anymore. Young people are going crazy and it ain't just women. It's men going crazy too. And I'll amen it if you don't amen it. And it's time the church recognizes that we have a responsibility to give them some spiritual stability. Not become a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but to recognize there is a need there. People are looking for help. You say, why? Man, the maniac of Guterra, he's going crazy in his mind. He's insane. And he doesn't know what to do. And what did Jesus do? He said, roll around the island, man. I don't want to go mess with that guy. I mean, what would people say about me running around here with a half-naked man breaking uh, uh, fetters and chains and screaming and hollering. He's full of the devil. I mean, we wouldn't want to do that. We'll run my reputation. with the Independent Baptist. But that's what we live in. We live with people that are literally right on the edge of things right now. And it's not just spiritual and demonic influence, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of it is emotional strain, and it's real, and you better recognize it's real, and you better thank God if it's not you, but you better ask those individuals, Hey, you're above my pay grade. Go get somebody to help you. And some of you are ready right there. You're like, well, I think you're insane. You're crazy. Okay, well, you do whatever you want. I got a little experience here. I'm telling you right now, it's real. It's real, it's real, I know it's real. Are you in John chapter number 20? I'm not planning on going for a couple hours tonight. I don't have to be home. I've got somebody can find me along the roadway if I get lost, so don't worry about it. Look, if you will, please, this is after the crucifixion. They're running together there. I look in verse number 6. Simon Peter, following him, went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes and lie. And uh, the napkin was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, wrapped together in a place by itself. And he went and saw the other disciple, the first of the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Watch, for as yet they knew not the Scripture. Father, I'd ask that you might help us tonight, Lord, and help me to put what it is you've laid upon my heart and help me to put it across in a way that it's easy to understand. And uh, help me, Lord, to, to just help these folks to prepare us for what it is that's coming in our direction, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I say this first and foremost? Uh, when is it that I need to ask God to help me? Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I, I mean, I, I believe that's a great prayer. Sometimes I think just help is good. I think, you know, a Nehemiah prayer every now and then is, Lord, help me. I have a favorite song. It's called Help Me, Jesus. I wrote it myself. Amen. And I just sing it. You say, when do you sing it? I sing it all the time. Amen. You say, what? Well, it sounds like an old black spiritual or something like that. Well, it depends on how you sing it, but you can sing it that way if you want to. It's just got one verse and continually happens to be repetitive in that. It's just, help me, Jesus, help me, help me, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. As bad as it is, I say, help however many times. Like Brother Howard, he prays for, thank the Lord, thank the Lord. I say, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. You say, why? There's times of despair that come along. There's times of darkness that come along. There's times where my hopes have been dashed and my dreams have been dashed and I have no idea of any direction whatsoever. I go to the tomb and expect to see the Lord there and there's things that I know intellectually, but I don't know the truth of the resurrection. God, you're doing something here I've never seen before. What are you doing it this way for? Why, he comes over there to Job there, and a question that comes out of that thing on a regular basis is, why do the righteous suffer? You can't make heads or tails of that thing. You've got to the end of the book and you realize it. But ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine if you were Job. I mean, you're minding your own business and minding your P's and Q's and you're living at a time period of dispensation uh, during that time where if you're doing right, living right and acting right, the Lord's blessing you, he's making you healthy, wealthy and wise and those kind of things. And if that's taking place, ladies and gentlemen, then all of a sudden Job says, Hey man, we got some problems, all your animals are dead. Hey Job, right behind that, we got some problems. What's the problem, man? All your servants are dead. Hey Job, we got some real problems now. Your whole family's dead. I mean, listen, you say what you want to say and I've heard the sermons on it. I know how the sermons tend to run toward the women and all that kind of stuff. I realize that and how wicked and ungodly they are and that kind of a deal. I'm working on a sermon. I'm picking a special place to preach it. But I'm saying this, I don't blame that woman for saying curse God and die. Now see, some of you think I just blaspheme God. I'm putting myself in the position of a man who's loved the Lord and served the Lord and done the best that he could possibly do. He's so righteous, he's offering sacrifices for his kids in case they're not living right. He is not doing anything right. I know you spiritual people are going all the way and going, Oh, well, you know, we found out he was self-righteous. Yeah, like you. That's why you're thinking about what I'm saying right now, like, oh, well, I would never think that. Well, you just better thank God He's never put you in a situation where He's done something where you might think, I don't think this is right. Now, you might not have shot your mouth off, but you believed it in your heart. And Job's up there saying, you know, now, thank God for Job. You know what he says? Well, woman, you talk like a crazy fool. You know, uh, shall we have gotten good from the Lord? Shall we not get evil also? You know, blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, God bless you, Job. But I got news for you. If I'd lost everything I had, and then I had also lost all my servants, and then lost all my kids, are you kidding me? And then I'm, well, praise the Lord. Romans 8, <laughs> 28. In one day, boy, you're more spiritual than I am. You curse God and die. Well, what do you got to live for? Everything you got's gone. Don't worry, I'll clean it up in a minute, preacher. You don't have to clean it up on Sunday. You get up there now. I know what Brother Peacock said, but now let's be careful about that. You know, I'm just trying to be real, man. I'm looking at that thing and thinking to myself, uh, that woman has stuck with that man all this time, and that was her kids too. I'm not saying she should have said that. I'm saying that, you know what? Sometimes when people are under pressure, they say and do stupid things. I've seen people commit murder that would never commit murder, ever, until the right set of circumstances and in the heat of passion, they've committed murder and ruined the rest of their life. Just because the pressure was on, they acted out of character. I've seen them do things and say things. But before I judge what they say, why don't I look at the situation that they're in and maybe I kind of give them a little bit of a wide berth. I'm not condoning their sin. I hope you understand that. But I'd like to say this. A great time to pray is when you don't know all the answers. Because you don't always know all the answers. You got young uns that need direction when it comes to uh, medical treatments and things like that. And all the doctors are guessing, and you're reading WebMD and trying to fill your head with everything you possibly can. But it's pretty dark, isn't it? It's pretty dismal, isn't it? You got surgery you may have to have here to take some spot off. It's cancer. Or well, we can wait and watch it. We can give you medicine. We can't give you medicine. Or oh, we'll, we'll cut it out. We'll leave it in. What do you want to do? It's pretty dark. Don't really know the answers to everything. Just because you're saved, glory to God, praise the Lord, going home to heaven. Sometimes things come up in life, and you know what you're thinking? Well, I don't know. The Bible says, and yet they knew not. What do I do? That's a good time to pray. I don't have to know the answer to everything. And sometimes, you know what you do? You pray. And what do you do when you don't know what to do? (laughs) You just don't do anything. Or you do only that, which you have to do, until sometimes the Lord will finally turn the light on. But sometimes the light don't come on. Sometimes it stays dark. and sometimes he asks you to trust him with the answer he's already given you, and that is nothing. The Apostle Paul's over there. He's called up to heaven. I don't know. I can't even possibly imagine how that must have been for him to have been training the way he was training. I trained at the feet of Gamil, going to be a lawyer, Pharisee of the Pharisees, above the law blameless. He is uh, off and running to be in the district attorney, the head honcho, the big shot, the big kahuna, whatever you want to call him there. And the Lord knocks him down there in the dirt, and gives him a brand new ministry, gives him all kinds of things to do and that kind of stuff. And then on top of that, reveals things to him in heaven and brings him back down here and afflicts him. You cannot read, if you're honest, 2 Corinthians 11 at the end of that and 2 Corinthians 12, and if you don't understand what God's doing and Paul is trusting that, it doesn't make any sense. That's God's chosen vessel and he is suffering the entire time of his ministry and he winds up endorsing the trouble, the tribulation. Paul said, we therefore glory in tribulation. My aching back, man. Three times he besought the Lord and said, Lord, you know, you know what he's beseeching the Lord for? He's just wanting to be able to serve the Lord better. He's not asking him, Hey, Lord, can I do this so I can make a little bit more money and make it rain? It's not what he's doing. He's saying, Lord, it's hard for me to serve you and my eyes afflicted, or whatever other issue might be. Lord, if you could take this away from me, it would really help me out. You know what the Lord said? No. My grace is sufficient for you, for when you're weak, I'm strong. Paul says, I'll therefore glory in tribulation. Now, I'm just saying to you, the first thing that you have to learn to do is, is sometimes in a Christian life, there's going to be darkness, and the sun ain't coming up. There's going to be scar tissue in your heart where things have happened. There's dark places that are in there where God never gave you an answer as to what happens, and you won't get it until you get to Glory. And I know what all the spiritual people say. Well, once I get there, you know, I won't be worried about it no more. I guarantee you, once you get there, you just say, Lord, could you just go in? I, I know you knew what you were doing, but could you maybe just show me why? I mean, I'll be glad when I get the mind of Christ. You say, why? I'll have some answers to some dark places. I'll have a little bit of light on things. Sometimes you know what happens. These apostles, they've been trained under Jesus' feet. And if anybody should know the Scripture, they should know. If anybody should know that He was going to be resurrected, they should know. But the Bible says, yet they knew not. It's not that they didn't know it intellectually. They just hadn't believed it in their heart. Every one of them doubted He was coming up. It wasn't that the Lord didn't tell them. They just didn't believe that. You know, it's hard for you if you think about it. It's real difficult for you to come to a funeral. He was at a funeral the other day and you've got the fellow laid out in the box in the flag draped coffin and so on and so forth and I hear people talking about this and that and the other and where is he at? And well, I hope he's in heaven and this and that and the other and, and then eventually they get up and give a testimony of his salvation and all that. When that's your loved one, it gets close but when it's you dying, it can be pretty dark. You know it intellectually, right? Brother Jim was dying and we were sitting there at 3 o'clock in the morning one morning and cutting up back and forth here and there when he was in and out and that kind of a deal. And he woke up one time and he kicked me at the bottom of the shoe there with his bare foot. And he said, well, P, he said, I reckon it won't be long now. I'm going to go to the place that we've been preaching about. I hope it's right. Hope is real. Now, see, you don't understand that. He's not doubting that it is. But he's fixing to make sure that it's real because he's fixing to cross over. It's one thing to know it intellectually. It's one thing when it's you the one making the journey. I had a little girl call me one morning. It was about 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And she called. The phone rang. Those calls are never good. They come in that time of the morning, you know. And I got that thing and I got up and I went in the other room of the house over there trying not to disturb Adrenaline And I got in there and I said, what do you want, youngin? And she said, well, she said, they're here. And I said, who's here? I thought it was a police. And she said, No, them, them uh, demons are back again. And I said, Oh, okay. I said, well, What are they there for? She said, They're here to take me. I said, Well, what are you going to do? She said, Well, I'm sitting in the bathtub and she said, I'm going to kill myself. I said, Okay. And she said, I mean it. I'm serious. I said, I, I said Okay. I believe you. I believe you can kill me. I'm praying. I know you think that's bad, but wait until the end of the story. I said, well, I just want to say one thing. She said, well, I'm calling you to tell you thank you and appreciate you helping me. And I can't overcome this and I can't overcome that. And my life's a wreck and this and that and the other. And all the typical things you've heard a million times. And it's real to her. Pretty dark for her, man. At two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. I've been trying to help her a long time. And can't, she just can't seem to beat it, man. She's just having a tough time. And so I said, okay. I said, well, I understand. I said, I got one thing to say. She said, okay, preacher, let me have it. And I said, I sure hope you're saved. And she said, you know I'm saved. You know when I got saved? I told you my testimony of being saved. And I said, yeah, I sure hope you meant business. She, he said, you're saying right now, are you trying to make her doubt her salvation? Sure. I said, well, you know what, if you're not saved, I said, I'm not saying you aren't saved, you're wanting to kill yourself, I'm not saying that has anything to do with it, I'm saying, but if you're not saved, and I said, the second you step off in eternity, I said, you're sitting in a bathtub, I'm guessing you're going to probably slit your wrist and all that, I know how to do it, and I said, I understand, I know what you're going to do, I said, I just want to tell you, the second you step off in eternity, and you're down there in hell burning, there ain't no coming back. And she said, well, I, I know what the Bible says about eternal security. I said, and I do too. I just want to know, do you have it? Are you willing to risk that? The phone rang about 8 o'clock in the morning. and I thought it would be the police. And she called. She said, you know, I thought about what you said. I said, well, I guess you must have. You're still around. <laughs> She said, "Well, you make a call for me? And I called somebody to come get her, and, and uh, she's still struggling. But, but, I, but I want you to understand this, ladies and gentlemen. As a Christian, you don't always have answers for everything. Let me say this secondly about the first point. There's just a few of them here tonight, and we'll go eat some donuts or whatever it is you got over there. But listen to me now. You don't not only know the answers to everything. You don't have to know the answers to everybody's problems. You're getting in a time and a date where people are getting so desperate that oftentimes they'll turn to you to answer questions that are above your pay grade and you don't have any business trying to answer. And they will lock onto you like a blood-sucking leech. Y'all know what leeches are, right? You're from Florida, you ought to. Those things latch onto you and then you got to you know, get them to back off a certain way and all that kind of stuff. They're not like a tick, leave the head in you, you know, and then make you tick sick, but but you understand what I'm talking about? These individuals, you say, what? They're looking for anybody to give them some kind of answer. And then what happens sometimes is we give them answers to questions and they latch on to it, but sometimes there's a fallacy in our counsel. Because we're saved. Preachers get into this a lot of times. They think because I'm a preacher, because I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to have all the answers. You know what's good to say sometimes? I don't know. You know what's good to say sometimes? I'm not sure. I don't have the answers. Go see somebody else. I really couldn't tell you. I don't have to be an expert in every field. I'm just supposed to be an expert in the fields that God called me to be in. But can I say this to you? When people are in darkness, they have what I call pine straw theology. If a drowning person is drowning and they see a pine straw floating on top of that water, you know what they'll do? They will grab that pine straw thinking that it'll save them and they'll drown that pine straw. That's why they tell you when it gets ready to save somebody, you reach, throw, row, and the last thing you do is go. You say, why? They will drown you. And when people are desperate, they'll reach out to you and they'll ask you things. And a lot of times they're not honestly looking for advice. They're looking for you to confirm the direction they want to go in the first place and now you become complicit in what it is they're doing. You do not want to be on the end of the phone call. Well, their last phone call on their phone was to you. What did they say? Or you're mentioned in that note. I'm just trying to give you some relief to simply say she went to get the boys because she didn't have an answer and the boys came in and the Bible said, and they departed, they knew not. What do we tell her? I don't know. It's okay not to know everything. It's alright for you to recognize that that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. It's okay to recognize, don't put pressure on yourself to realize, I don't have to know everything. Raising kids, you'll be a better grandparent than you ever were a parent. You say, why? Because you've gotten some experience. Them youngins, when they come out, them younguns, out a single one of them come out with a little uh, a how-to-do manual. And they are all just as different in fingerprints. And you know the weird thing about them? They change all the time. You think, I got it nailed down now. I know what they are now. And then it's like, who are you? Where did you come from? And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, I raised you right? You've been in church, you're doing this and that and the other, and now you're acting like the devil. How did you get possessed? Or they're running with the wrong crowd, and you're thinking, well, what did I do wrong? You did everything right, but at some point, that kid's free will kicks in, and you can't figure him out with a figuring machine. Dark times sometimes where you don't understand it. You look down there in that passage, I won't go back up there right now. I'll try to do what I can from my memory there on the right hand side of my Bible, the right hand down below that. You've got little old Mary, she's down there and she's bawling and squalling and crying. And do you realize a good time to call on Jesus is when you're in despair? When things are not going like you think they should. Don't sometimes those tears and that heartbreak, doesn't it kind of sort of veil the Lord a little bit? It makes Him hard to see. You ever had the death of a loved one and you're trying to find Jesus in there and you just can't seem to find him in the deal? Don't feel bad, everybody's felt that way. They're just acting like they, oh no, it never bothered me when my loved one died. I knew Jesus had it, you know. Jesus, take the wheel. We good. Ain't no problem. Sometimes you can be so to such despair and such trouble and all that that the next thing you know you know what you do you're just your heart is broken like an egg under a giant's heel, and you're weeping and you're moaning and nobody understand, understands. And in that passage, you know what that woman's by herself. Them Jaybirds have deserted her. Sometimes darkness can leave you deserted, and people you thought were your friends and that you turned to for answers. They leave you. And you're all alone. And you're out there and you know what can happen during those times of great despair? Deception can come in. It's easy for you to understand or to grab a hold of. She's there weeping and crying. Why? She doesn't understand that He's resurrected. She doesn't even believe what the angels are telling her. You know why I know that? Because when this man comes up behind her, she perceives He's the gardener. And you know what she says? Just tell me where you've taken Him. I think she ain't 110 pounds soaking wet. And I think she's thinking, you just tell me, I'll get some guys, I'll do whatever I got to do to do whatever I need to do to get a hold of them. Do you realize sometimes death at an, un- a- 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 an improper time, a- an unwanted time, and those, I'm not talking about older people, that's sad too. But man, when you got somebody kicking off at 96 years of age and not in their right mind, that's a different kind of death than somebody dying after they got hatched. Somebody dying in the prime of life, somebody getting killed. That's a preacher's daughter at an, at an inopportune time. That's pretty dark time. That's despairing. She's down there and she's weeping and she's moaning and she's crying and she can't even recognize Jesus when He shows up. And He says to her, Mary, He says, where have you taken her? Where, where have you taken her? He doesn't even call her by name. Just turned around. And He says, where would you take Him? Where is He at? He's standing right in front of her. And He looks down at her and He says, Mary... And she says, Man, Master, Rabboni. And she reaches out there to touch him. He said, Don't touch me. I've not yet ascended. Can I say this to you? Times of great doubt come in. Her whole life, that man has done something for her. That man meant something to her. That man's the only man that never asked anything from her and helped her in spite of her despicable condition. And buddy, she's missing him and she's trying her best to honor him and honor his death. And she's down there at his tomb when nobody else is there and she's deserted and all alone. And she's down there saying, tell me what I can do, tell me what I can do. That man's the only one that ever did. And sometimes... In situations, you'll be the only one that feels the pain of the dismissal of the individual, the despair. It'll hit you harder than anybody else because it's more personal to you. It means more to you something on the inside that the Lord did for you that He didn't do for everybody. And all of a sudden it ain't always jumping and leaping and hollering and thank the Lord when it is and thank the Lord for good testimonies and thank God we ought to give the testimonies when we can like we talked about old-fashioned meetings, testimony meetings and things like that. But right here where we're at right now, this is where we live. This is what's literally waiting at the door every single day. It is a foreboding sense of a shadow that is hanging out right outside the door in spite of the sun which causes the shadows to be cast. It's hanging out right outside the door. And we know it's always there lurking and waiting. And then things occur in life and the next thing you know it seems to strike us through the heart much greater than it does other people. And you turn around and you look to your friends for help and they're not there. You ever think about this and most people don't because it's so common nowadays. It's not just death that's that way. Disease can be like that. Somebody comes in and tells you you have a particular diagnosis, that literally, sometimes it's the sentence to death. You told a friend of mine not too awful long ago, "We've done everything that we can possibly do. You better throw the kitchen sink at it, because we have nothing else we can do unless God intervenes. Christian, saved. Woohoo, going to heaven. Yeah, but that's a rough way to go. Only by the grace of God, it's not sitting on your doorstep tonight. And if it does sit on your doorstep, you know what can happen? Despair. You know what can happen? Discouragement. Desertion. You know what can happen? Disillusioned. God, why would you let this happen? How could this happen to me? Why did this occur? Do you think that she's not human? That the finally she met somebody that really did something for her, really cared about her. Do you think that, 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 that she's not thinking that? But all she wants to do is, could I just have his body? And he comes to her because he cares before he's even gone to the Father. And he said, I want to let you know I'm, I'm right here. He didn't appear to anybody else before he went up. Just the one who was in great despair. You ever pause to think about that kind of stuff? Why, by the time she gets up from there, the Lord has spoken to her and then he goes up there to the other side of Alpha Draconis and then comes back down here and he meets with the two boys on the road to Damascus and and talks with them and so on and so forth. And they're up there in the upper room and the Lord comes walking through the doors up there. you got to understand now, he's just been crucified. They have set up there, these, uh, these centurions around that tomb and they're guarding it and everybody's thinking the moment that door's knocked on, those soldiers are coming for us next. They know we're his apostles. That's why Peter is so vehement in his denial because if he gets caught, he's going to get arrested. He's going in there and he's going to get whooped too. Yeah. And I think he's afraid in spite of the fact that he's willing to be combative and that kind of a thing. I think he's thinking, man, after seeing him hang up there and then whip come across him, I don't think I can take that kind of torture. And the next thing you know, Peter comes out there and he's out weeping. The Lord comes out of there before he goes to Calvary and just looks at Peter and the Bible says, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. I bet he did, man. The next thing you know, the Lord comes walking through there and, hey boys, how you doing? The ladies are up there with them. They're cowered down behind closed doors and locked in and they're petrified. The whole world is closing in on them. The world's caving in on them. The things that they thought were going to happen are not happening. They're completely disillusioned. It's not just dark and they're not just in great despair. You know what's fixing to happen? They're doubting that the resurrection even took It, it ain't just Thomas doubting. If they thought it was real, why is the door locked? I mean, we got doubting Thomas. I get that. I understand that. The Lord appeared to him, but you know why the Lord appeared to him? Because they's doubting too. You know, times of darkness and times of despair can be great doubts to you. Lord, where are you in all this stuff? I have a friend of mine right now. He left everything he did doing all the stuff. Believed he was doing what God wanted him to do. People pulled the rug out from under him and he's having to try to go back to work and do this and that and the other. He said, I don't even know why I did it. I said, I can't tell you to get to eternity. You did the best you could with what God told you to do. But the bottom line is, God knows maybe he'll use it in judgment against him later. I couldn't tell you. I don't have an answer for you. But it doesn't always work out great. The Lord appears to him in the upper room. Of course, Thomas is not there. You know, a good time to pray is not just when it's dark. A good time to pray is not just when you're in despair. You know, a good time to pray, it's when you're doubting it. You ever doubt your salvation? I, I know doctrinally you know it in your head. I understand that. You ever doubt your salvation? I mean, you ever take a real good look, you know, a real inventory and think, you know, if I'm really saved, why am I thinking what I'm thinking? A lot of us, our problem, ladies and gentlemen, our, our problem really, it's not outward stuff that we do. We don't smoke and drink, you know, and cuss and chew and go with them that do and that kind of a thing. That, that's, not, that's not who we are. We don't run around doing stuff like that. But sometimes our mind gets us, don't it? You know, sometimes you start doubting a little bit. Don't you kind of doubt the Lord's coming? Don't you kind of doubt why am I Why am I in this? I mean, doesn't it ever now and then cause you a little bit of confusion? I hope you're staying with me tonight. I just wish you... Do you ever look at people that are wicked and ungodly and they just seem to be living the life of luxury and nothing's bothering them and nothing's upsetting them and they're not in trouble and they're not in the hospital and they're not having... I know what all the preachers say. Oh yeah, they've got trouble too. Yeah, but it just seems to me that it's the Christians that seem to be getting it on a regular basis. And sometimes I get to wondering about it. You don't? God bless you. You need to pray for me. I wonder sometimes how it is I can preach sometimes a couple of weeks out of every month and try to preach all in between and stuff, which by the way I do because the Lord does that to keep my mind in the right place and then still think some of the things I think. How's that possible if I'm really saved? And I know the doctrine. I know the Bible. And I know I'm trusting Him and I know I'm saved, I'm sure. And I know when I got saved. But sometimes I got a doubt or two about the way God's going about things. Sometimes He don't skin the chicken the way I'd skin it. You don't even pull the feathers off sometimes. You ever doubt? That's a great time to pray. You know, it's an amazing thing when Thomas is there, and I've told you about him before. He's the first independent in the uh, Baptist in the Bible because he wasn't there on church on Sunday night. And the Lord showed up. I'm going to start a new doctrine. That new doctrine is going to be the rapture is going to happen on a Sunday night and Thomas is a picture of the church and the, he wasn't there for the rapture. So you missed the rapture and I'll teach a split rapture out of it. <laughs> You've got to wait around to the next Sunday night for him to show up. Try to improve our attendance on Sunday night. You know what Thomas is doing? He don't say. Thomas otherwise has had a pretty good testimony. Remember in John chapter number 11, when everybody's saying, Lord, if we go back over there where Lazarus is, we're certainly going to die. You know what Thomas said? Okay, Lord, well, if we've got to go and die, let's go die. That was Thomas. Doubting Thomas. He said, well, Lord, if we've got to die, let's die. Not many people preach on that, but we sure preach on his doubts. You know why? Because we know what it's like to doubt. You know what he says? He says, uh, Lord, I, I don't know. I, I got him depressed. I got him upset. I got him thinking, man, I made a mistake. I got him sitting there on a stump like the thinker, questioning everything, everything he did, everything. It's in his mind to doubt things. He's thinking, well, what have I done? I've wasted three and a half years. Why was I here? What did I do? This is insane. This is crazy. Why did I follow him in the first place? All I know is, is he wasn't where he should have been in church. But here's the strange thing. Eight days later, the Lord shows up on that evening time service again. And when the Lord shows up there, he walks out there and he calls Thomas by name. And he says, Thomas, he doesn't get on to him. He said, you want to put your fingers in my hands? And your hand in my side? He doesn't say, Thomas, where were you? I know Thomas missed some things. But he came back and got some things he missed out on. You say, Preacher, what do I do when I doubt? You pray. You know why I think he showed back up? I think two reasons. I think, number one, the boys went and talked to him about it. I think, number two, that he got to praying about it. And the Lord said, you need to go back, whether I come back or not. I think one of the greatest times that you need to pray is when you have doubts. You say, why? Doubts come from the devil. But they also come from examining yourself too close and you mess up. Instead of just fess up and get up, you sit there and think, well, now why would I keep doing that and why would that happen to me and why did that? That's the devil putting you under false conviction. If you messed up and you get convicted, fess up and get up. You say, well, preacher, I ain't got victory over it. You may fight it the rest of your life. The victory is, is in confessing it and continuing on after you've done it. I'm not condoning it. I don't have addictions like some people have addictions. So I can't relate to that. But if you did, you know what might happen? You might fight that the rest of your life doubtful disputations and things you're not sure about you don't have to worry about that it's Thomas doubting what the Lord's doing there well is he going to be resurrected or not is the Lord the rapture going to happen or not if the Bible's right in 1st 2nd Peter chapter 3 the Bible said in the last days the church is saying where's the promises and been coming things continue the way they were for since time began and so on and so forth they go down through there and the whole church goes south doubts are going to be a part of the last church why aren't we here tonight on a Friday night of all the places you could be if nothing else parked in front of a TV watching YouTube or whatever it is you do nowadays. You got a couple of kids here that are here from college. They got classes on Monday. What are you doing here tonight? You know, what are you doing? The more of this you do, the less you'll doubt. God come by and spend time with you and maybe give a message and something happens and a preacher gets up and he preaches and you're thinking, how do you know that? And the Holy Spirit said, I told him. And it makes God real to you. Why you drive over and why you become a part of this and why you drive from living around here. You come to a little small church here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school, special meetings and things. These meetings are going to become a thing of the past. Y'all be putting me in the box here before much longer. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't hold the fort, I'm telling you right now, these meetings will go the way of the American Indian and people will quit coming. And you'll be sitting on your hind end at the house watching something else instead of having meetings where God, God still likes having meetings where people come together and gather. And that's not an attempt to get him to ask me to come back. If he cuts it off next year, that's fine. It's his business. But I'm simply saying to you, it's coming to a close. They don't want to have meetings anymore. Meetings are where God speaks to people. Meetings are where they gather together. God came there and spoke to them. And when Thomas showed back up, the Lord said, "Uh, Blessed are you. He said, Yeah, blessed are them that who have not seen still believe. A great time to pray is not just in darkness and despair. A great time to pray is when you doubt. And let me say this. We all have doubts. Every one of us. You ever doubt the Lord's going to get you through? I sure have. I know he has. We talked about the Ebenezer stones. But there have been times I'm just being honest with you, I'm I know what I'm supposed to pray and God's gonna but I'm thinking, man. And sometimes his way out's a different way. I remember when my daddy died, we were all out there praying and stuff, and I got to the point where I quit praying, God heal him, God heal him. I started praying, God take him, God take him. That was a terrible stuff, man, watching what was going on watching that bear of a man shrivel down to nothing, man. I started praying, Lord, take it. I remember a guy called me a couple of days after he died, and and, uh, he said, "Uh, hey, man, how's your daddy? I just found out he wasn't doing too well. I said, yeah, he'd been in the hospital and stuff. He said, well, how's he doing? I understand it's pretty serious. I said, man, he's in better shape now than he's ever been. He said, you're kidding. And I said, no, man, he is really doing well. I said, A complete recovery. He said, you're kidding. I heard that he was dying. I said, he did. And he goes, oh, (laughs) the Lord answered that prayer different than I thought he would. Still miss him though. Dark spot, a lot of despair there, a lot of doubt. 64 years old, gave up professional baseball and all the other kind of stuff and did all the things he did and the Lord saw fit to take him home. You don't think I doubt that? You you don't think I'm non-human, do you? I think one of the greatest things in the world is I came back from over west of here and come by and got the opportunity to come by and see your husband your daddy. And he got up, been laying in the bed and not feeling well and got himself spiffed up. That's the kind of man he was and dressed up and sat up in the chair. He didn't want me to come see him in the bed. And I go over there to the house and sit down there next to him, kneel down there beside him. He takes that big old, he had a giant hand. and take that big old hand. And, Brother Peacock, I sure appreciate you. I can't believe you come by here and spend this kind of a deal and time with me and so on and so forth and about my son and this and that and the other. We had a sweet time there. I think one of the greatest things in the world is is that it wasn't too much longer after that he went on home to be with the Lord. Had to come back over for the service. You don't think doubts come in? Raised his boy right? Did the things he's supposed to do right? Left mama behind? I'm almost by herself now for 30-something years. Can I give you one more? Is this making any sense to you at all? say, what do you do when you doubt, preacher? You pray. You pray. Don't go to the Lord and tell Him, I don't doubt you. I don't doubt you. Tell Him straight up, I'm doubting. I'm struggling. The apostles say, Lord, increase our faith. I pray that all the time. That's right behind, help me, Jesus. I'm I'm writing a second verse of that thing. (laughs) Help me, Jesus. Increase my faith. Help me, Jesus. Increase... I haven't got it to rhyme yet, but it'll get there. I'll get one of these girls to help me write the thing. (laughs) We'll turn it into a hit and it'll be on the charts. You know, another thing that I see there in that particular passage, I see old Peter is so downtrodden and depressed and discouraged because he's denied the Lord and he's deserted him. And he left out And John 21 even after he saw the Lord in the upper room and even after he's seen the Lord do all of the things that he's done and he's appeared to Peter now on two separate occasions. You know what Peter said? I'm going fishing. Preacher, what do you think about that? Isn't that the natural temptation when you feel like you failed and can't get back up? Well, I'll just quit. I'm just making a mess. I mean, Peter did more than betray folks. He called the Lord a liar. On two separate occasions, and on one occasion of those occasions, he told him he was a liar three times. Shot his mouth off in front of his compadres there and made a big spectacle of himself. And then you know what he figures? God can't use me. I'm no good. I'm supposed to be the big fisherman. I'm supposed to be the chief apostle to the the, uh, Jews. I'm supposed to be all these things. Man, who would want me in their ranks? And you know what he says? I'm going fishing say, Preacher, what are you telling me? I'm telling you that a good time for you to pray is when you deserted him because it's hard to come back. You take that story of the prodigal, and I love the story of the prodigal. You say, why? Because I've been in the story of the prodigal before. I may not have left. I might be more the elder brother in the house but left in my mind and those kind of things. I hate to be so bluntly honest with you, but I don't ever want to paint a picture that I'm something that you don't think I am. I don't walk on water and all that other kind of stuff. I struggle the same way you do. But I think to myself oftentimes that story of the prodigal that people don't recognize that in spite of the fact that he's got hog dewy on him and the stains from the hog and the smell of the hog pen on him and he's spent everything and his friends are gone and all the connections and everything else is gone like that. Do you know how hard it was to get up out of that pig pen and come back? That Bible said when he came to himself, listen man, there are people all around out here that know where they ought to be. But you know how hard it is to come back? It's hard. You say, why? You know what happens when they get greeted at the father's house? The elder brother's there saying, what are you doing back? I ain't never left. They think that. They know that. You know how hard it is for that boy to get up and realize I made a mess? Listen, it's not just I've sinned against heaven and against you. It's like, listen, you don't even have to know my verbal testimony. You can tell I'm an idiot. I lost everything I had. And I'm coming back and saying, can you have mercy on me for something I did? Boy, that's a hard thing. But you need to listen to me. It ain't just hard to come back. It's hard to stay back. Once you come back, man, you know what happens? You see the elder brother and the servant out there talking beside the door. They're out here over here. And the servant's trying to talk the elder brother into coming in. But you know what you think? They're talking about you being in there. You see somebody else out there, the father goes out there to talk to the elder brother, you know what you're thinking? You're thinking they're talking about you. That prodigal gets ready to come back to the house, man, and the Lord lights the pathway with lightning bugs there, and they're blinking along the way, and he's following that thing. And the closer he gets up there, the smell of the father's bread's on the table there. Mama's done made that, and he's looking off there in the distance, and in the back of his mind, man, he's thinking to himself, man, they're not going to take me back. They'll probably stone me. They probably won't even let me get to the gate, man. I won't even make the outer corral or outer pasture. Uh, There ain't no way I'm going to come back there. Why do you think the father ran to meet him? You say, well, he ran to meet him because he's glad to see him. I think he ran to meet him because he wanted to make sure he came on to the house. I think he ran to meet him because he knew what was going on in that boy's noggin. He's going to think he shouldn't be coming back, and he shouldn't be asking me to do that, and he's asking me too much, and he's already blown everything. I better go get him or he's going to turn around and be gone again. You know what I admire about him? I admire about him in that story. I've read it a hundred times, at least a hundred times. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I've read it, preached it, looked at it time and time and time again. You know what I like? They're having the party there, killed the fatted calf, gave him a robe and a ring and some shoes and so on and so forth. You know what I like about him? The story ends and he's in and the elder brother's out. And the elder brother is only right outside the door. And that prodigal stays right there in the father's house. And the way I draw the story up is, he stays there until he buries the old man and he winds up inheriting the whole thing and the elder brother winds up in the far country. You say, don't say that. Yeah, but the elder brother's headed there. And the elder brother can get bitter. And before long, you know what will happen? The elder brother will go and he won't come back. The Bible said he's out. He's referring to the Pharisees. That story is about the Pharisees. You know what happens? You can get so embittered toward somebody else coming back that you know what you do? You pooch your lip and you go outside the door and you know what happens before long? You'll be out doing things you never thought you'd be doing and the next thing you know you won't never be back again. You say, it can't happen to me. Oh, man. I look at that prodigal. I have great admiration for him. I think he's got a character like a saw log. It's hard to come back from failure. It's hard to come back and admit you're wrong. It's hard to recognize that. You say, what happened? I think the Lord's helping him along there when he's praying. The Bible said, and he came to himself. How do you think he came to himself? You think when he's sitting there on that log over there by them pigs and listening to them root around in that mud and that slop and he's out there and he can't even fill himself with the food that comes for the pigs. Do you think he might just be sitting there thinking, boy, I'll tell you what, my father's got plenty of bread for the servants to eat over there and the Lord says, amen. That's right, he does. You hungry, aren't you? Yes, sir, I sure am hungry. Why don't you go into the Father's house? I can't go back there. Well, why can't you? Well, he wouldn't have me back. Look how I'm dressed. Look at the the mistakes I've made. Look at the sin I've committed. Look at the trail of bodies behind me and all that kind of stuff. Why don't you try it? How do you think he came to himself? I think there was a nudging, constant nudging of the Holy Spirit. I think he's engaged in a conversation like some of you tonight. And you know that you're here, but you ain't here. And you know you've come to every night of the revival meeting, and you're still just outside the door. And the Lord's been talking to you. And you're thinking, well... I'm. I'll see if I can do better this time, and then when I get things fixed up, then maybe, maybe, maybe I might, maybe I'll come, maybe I'll come back then. You know, good time to pray. Right now, Lord, do I, do I need to come back, or we, where we need to be? Am I in fellowship the way I need to be, Lord? It sounds like from what this preacher is telling me, we're in for some rough times ahead. Some rough seas are coming, and uh, Lord, I need to lash myself to the mast here. Uh, Lord, am I, am I in danger of finding myself in one of those four places? See, I can't answer that for you. But if you pray, I guarantee you somebody will. Don't you think that prodigal had a hard time overcoming that pride? Man, his daddy was known by everybody. If I would draw it up, I'd draw it up in a southern town. I'd call it Monticello <laughs> with a town square. And everybody that's anybody knows everybody. You can't clear your throat without everybody in town knowing it. They know what you ate for supper. You growed up around here, went to these poor schools, and you go to that church. Can I get a witness? Amen. You know how hard it is to say, Yeah, but I still need to I still need to be close to the Savior. Can I just tell you this? That prodigal didn't come back to get to the house. That prodigal came back to get close to the Father. He didn't come back for bread. He came back to be close to the Father. He didn't come back for a fatted calf, a robe, and a ring. He came back to say, Daddy, I have made a mess of my life, and I'm sorry. Preacher, what can happen when I get in a situation like that where I get deserted? Well, Peter's out there fishing. I like this. The Lord's up on the beach cooking probably five barley loaves and two fishes. Peter's gotten so out of fellowship with the Lord that when the Lord says, children, you have any meat? Peter don't even recognize him talking anymore. I'm almost done. And John says to him, he says, uh, hey, Pete. He said "What do you want, man?" He said, uh, "You don't recognize that feller?" He said, "No. The Bible says in two verses above that, you know what it says? They didn't recognize him at all. None of them did until he spoke. And then John said, "Pete, it's the Lord." I think Peter thought to himself of that chicken skin, that old chill bump ran up the back of his spine there and chicken skin popped out on his arms in spite of the heat. And he's thinking to himself, it's the Lord. Well, what in the cat hair is he doing out here? And I think the Lord sends him a telepathic message. I'm here looking for you, boy. And Peter puts on his coat and jumps in because he wasn't wearing nothing. He jumps in. That's another message. And he swims over there. He don't walk on the water this time. Peter comes up and you can't tell if it's tears or if it's the water from the sea that he's been swimming in. And he gets up there to the beach and those waves are just gently lapping up on that beach and things like that. And he is soaked from head to toe, man. Looks like a drowned rat. And he comes up there and he's on his hands and knees. And he sees a hand. And he remembers seizing that hand one time before. And one time he was sinking and the Lord reached down there and helped him and pulled up Only There's something different this time. That hand, the same hand that pulled him out of that sea of trouble is down there, but it's got a nail print in it. And he said, Peter, put your hand right here. I'll forgive you for everything you did and pulls him up on the beach. You know what the Lord will do for you if you've been out there? You know what He'll do for you tonight? He'll take that same nail-pierced hand the one that saved you when you were drowning. You were in the CSN headed to hell. Now you're saved and you messed up. You're out there doing things you ought not be doing. Gotten cold and bitter and ornery. And you jump in and start toward him and you see if he don't act like the Father and come running to meet you. You see if he doesn't send out that nail-pierced hand and say, hey, put your hand right there. You're forgiven. But you know what you have to do? You have to make the move. That's four times you're going to need to have the Lord and be able to get in touch with Him. That's just four in a short passage there where those people are in a desperate situation and they had to learn to cry out to God. And Christian, if there is anything that I've seen coming and I'm not a prophet or anything like that, I'm telling you the day has come where you're going to have to be able to get a hold of God and some of you going to have to be able to do it by yourself because there ain't always going to be somebody around to help you pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.